Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hi, I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True, True Crime New, New England. England. Welcome back, everybody. Hi. I know for you guys it feels like you just listened to our latest episode last week. But for me and Katie, we haven't recorded an episode in over three and a half weeks. It's been a long time. Yeah. It's now the end of August. Mm-hmm. We last saw each other at the very beginning of August. So while you guys, you know, if you listen, however you listen, you just heard our latest episode or whatever... Me and Katie have been catching up for the last, like, two hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's been crazy. Just getting to catch up over what's been going on over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Most notably, Katie had a birthday. Yay. And right now we're going to sing happy... But No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can't sing for shit. I won't torture you guys with that. Um, but, yes, your birthday was on the 17th. Yeah. How did it go? It was fun. My birthday was fun. Yeah. Um, I was like, let me take a trip to New York City for the weekend, see some friends, you know... I turned 22, so I was like, let me make up for my 21st birthday that COVID right. kind of ruined. I didn't get to do a whole lot. Yeah. I got a hotel room. Good. I did a face good. mask. There you <laughs> go. Caught up on some reading. So it was okay. It was some That's forced good. relaxation. Right. And no better way to spend your birthday yeah. than to be forced to relax. So that's good. I'm glad you were able to do that. Yeah. And I felt really bad that, you know, on your birthday was on a Tuesday. Yeah. And I couldn't, you know, hang out with you because I was working and then I moved. I now live in Portland, Maine, which is so exciting. But as a result, I couldn't like hang out with you, you know, oh. when you're moved. So I felt really bad. Please. Um, but I made up for it today because I got Chinese food and yes. we got, I got, gave you your presents. So. Yes. Woo. But anyway. Today, guys, we're going to be taking, it's not a break from true crime because it is something that happened, but it's a little lighter. Yeah. It's kind of in the same realm of like the flying circus disaster in a way that it's not, nobody dies, which Mm -hmm. is great. We don't want to always talk about people dying, Um, but it's still something very relevant to New England, to, you know, true crime cases, that sort of thing, so... We're going to be doing something a little different. Yeah, and by the time this episode comes out, it will be just before the anniversary of when this happened. The day before, I The believe. day before, yeah. So when you guys are listening to this, it will be the day before this incident, this event. That yeah. Happened. So, yeah, it's kind of a cool aspect of true crime, I guess. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So without further ado, we'll be covering the case of The, the incident, incident at, at Exeter. Exeter. Okay, guys, so this case is very close to home for Mm -hmm. us, especially me, because it takes place in my hometown of Exeter, New Hampshire. I grew up in Exeter, New Hampshire. I was born there. I lived there up until literally like 10 days ago, um, and I'm almost 23, so my entire fucking life. Um, So all those cases, you know, things that happen in Exeter, I'm always like extra in tune with. So... The incident at Exeter is something we've, you and I both grow up hearing about. Oh my God, For so many reasons. And we'll get, go over those reasons, but it's kind of a big deal in our town. Yeah. And it's, it was a huge deal nationally. Yes, it really was. That was crazy. Because people were freaking out. Yeah. Because it almost felt like, without spoiling things, a very real sighting of a UFO. Yeah. Very, and I don't believe personally in that kind of thing, but I read this and I'm like, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, and before we get into it, you know, sometimes cases like this will turn off people because it's not a traditional true crime case, and some people might think it's more of a conspiracy or a conspiracy theory. 
Um, but this is a meaningful case in, mm -hmm. you know, Liz's hometown and the hometown where um, I went to school. So, yeah, just bear with us. It's a really cool case. Yeah. Um, made nationwide news, national attention. Mm -hmm. um, it's not yeah. made up. It's No, this is, this is fact. This so. is serious. Like, these, we're telling you accounts of things that these people saw, reported, and, like, it's documented that they saw these things. So it's yeah. not like we're saying... They saw, you know, a helicopter and thought it was no, no. No, this is legit. This is legit. Yep, and there's a whole, you know, government cover-up that was oh, legitimate. Yeah. And, of course, there's conspiracy theories that go along sure. with this, as well as some of the cold cases we've talked about. Oh, you know, my God, Everybody yeah. has their theories on what happened to Maura Murray from exactly. episode one. And so, yeah, this is, even though it's a different kind of true crime aspect, it's still a really interesting case. Yeah. And, you know, the anniversary is right around the corner. Yeah, so. exactly. And, yeah. you know, people who are listening to this who are from New Hampshire especially will know what we're talking about. They, of course. And I doubt that they'll be mad, you know. No. Like, come on, this is the, the incident at Exeter. We had requests to cover this case. Yeah. All right. As always, Katie, your sources. Wikipedia... Of course. of course. They did such a good job with this. <laughs> they really they were, did. Like, hitting it home. Oh, yeah. Um, New Hampshire Magazine, SeacoastOnline.com, of course. And then I actually found an interview. It was on SeacoastNewHampshire.com. Um, the main person involved with this case, he came out of his hiding, I guess, and he mm -hmm. allowed students at Exeter High School at that time to interview him 25 years after the incident. So we got his, his account of what happened. Crazy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so so good. It was very good. I, I have the same source mm -hmm. as well. It was very interesting to read, especially because we attended and graduated from Exeter High School. school. Yeah. So it was cool. Um, some of my sources include Wikipedia, of course. Union Leader had a great article. Um, I watched some videos. Um, the Exeter Historical Society, which was um, a video, short video, it was like four minutes long from our local historical society. My childhood best friend's mother is the local historian, actually. That's so crazy. Yeah, and she, this video was of her talking about this incident, and so, you know, watching it, I was kind of getting, like, nostalgic. So I listened to that. It was very good. She did a fantastic job. Um, I watched another video by someone called Night Terrors. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and then someone else um, with the username William DeFalco. I don't know, but they had some good content, so Sweet. it was very interesting. All right, let's get into let's it. Let's get right into it. September 3rd of oh 1965. God. Yes. This will be 56 years ago exactly to the day tomorrow when this episode comes out. Which is insane. So crazy. 56-year anniversary. So this 18-year-old kid, his name is Norman Muscarello. He was hitchhiking home to Exeter, New Hampshire, where he lived. He was headed home from his girlfriend's house in Amesbury, Mass. Mm -hmm. This is like 10 miles, um, but he didn't have a car, so he just, usually that was his go-to, was to hitchhike right. back and forth. Not a problem. Did it all it's the time. the 60s. It's the 60s. Everybody's doing it. 10 that's, miles. That's not bad at all. That's like the main form of transportation in the sure. 60s. 100%. <laughs> and I know it sounds kind of crazy, like he was hitchhiking from Massachusetts to New Hampshire, right on the border. 10 miles, yeah. Exeter is literally, it goes Exeter and then like, Kingston, where he was, Seabrook, and then you're in Amesbury, yeah. essentially. It's very, you know, it takes minutes to cross the border. It's no big deal. So he was just hitchhiking. This was his normal thing. Mm -hmm. He was visiting his girlfriend's parents. Well, her, you know, she still lived with his parents, because her parents, because it was like, you know, they were 16, 18, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so he actually had ended up walking, like, most of the distance. At this point, he was almost done, mm -hmm. which is... I feel so bad because, um, ouch, my, my poor legs already just ache for him. Um, but, you know, he, he was just walking. He was hitchhiking, but it's 2 a.m. Nobody's driving. Right. And not in Kensington. Kensington is a quiet farm town. There's, yeah, farms. <laughs> I call no it cars. dead zone Kensington yes. because no matter what, their Wi-Fi is shit. <laughs> You've got no bars. There's nothing. No it always says no service when you're driving through Kensington. Dead serious. So he's hitchhiking, but no one's coming because it's, you know. It's 2 a.m. in a small town in New Hampshire. Yeah. Nobody's going to come get you. No one's going to come get you. No. So that sucks. But he's walking. He says it's a very clear night. He sees the stars. To one side, he sees, you know, farms. The other side, he sees, he can see, like, to Hampton Beach, which is 
just, you know, lights, it's lit up because Hampton Beach is a very big tourist attraction in mm-hmm. New Hampshire. Um, so he's just looking and he's, you know, it's a clear night. He's just, he's trying to hitchhike, but he's just end up, he's walking home essentially, which is fine. Um, you know, he saw planes earlier that night and then, but now the sky was just clear. He's passing a field and this is about a half mile away from the town of Exeter. Yeah. So like a stone's throw, yeah. so close. He sees what he reports as five flashing red lights in a field. It was this field attached to a farm. Right. And he said these lights were bright and they reminded him of sirens, like from a police car or a fire truck, but he mm-hmm. didn't hear anything. Yeah, that's weird. So he goes closer to check it out and see, you know, what's going on. Maybe the, the neighbors at the farm need some help. Maybe something's right. going on. Yeah. Just, you know, going to check it out. Mm-hmm. And, well, I mean, this is when he realized that the lights were illuminating, like, the side of this farm, which is um, owned by the dining family. And he was looking, and he realized that it wasn't coming from a police car and a fire truck, like you said. It was coming from the sky, and there was not a single sound. He said it was just silence. The whole world was silent. Which, first of all, that's fucking creepy. Yeah. That's very creepy. He said even the crickets stopped chirping. Oh, my God. That's creepy. Like, everything was just waiting. Oh, my God. He gets closer, and he sees that these lights, these bright red lights, are being cast by this object. And he describes this object to be about 80 to 90 feet in diameter. That's ginormous. So for me, in my head, I can't picture what that is. I know it's fucking huge. Yeah. But I did the math. Okay. And picture 15 people, Uh average-sized people, laid out flat, like head-to-toe, head-to-toe, flat in a line. 15 people. Are you serious? That's about 80 to 90 feet in diameter across. This is massive. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That is ginormous. And this was in the sky, mm-hmm. he says. He says he saw it in the sky. It had those bright, like, five bright red lights. It's lighting up everything. Everything. It's, let's see, I have a quote he said. Um, the lights were described as brilliantly red, like blinding, in that, you know, he said, I assume the speed must have been something terrific because it just came up on, on him all of a sudden. He was walking, like, closer to it, and all of a sudden it was right there. And he said it was no sound, and it was pulsing erratically, and he couldn't make make out any distinct pattern, just that it was super bright and super big. Oh, my God. I know. Creepy, right? Oh, my God. And then Norman started to really panic. I mean, he's already on edge. Like, what the fuck is this thing? He starts to really panic when he realizes that this object is silently coming closer to him. Oh. So he's running oh. for cover. He's, he's afraid it's going to hit into him or knock him over or something. Yeah, yeah. And he ends up tripping and falling into a ditch. Yeah, on the side of the road. On the side of the road at 2 o'clock in the morning in Kensington. Nobody's around. Nobody's there. And this object starts to go over and hover more over the dining family's house. Yeah. He goes and he sprints over and he's banging on the door for help mm-hmm. maybe to see if somebody's inside like what, yeah. he doesn't know what's going on he doesn't even really know what he needs help for he's just he's just trying he's to get panicking. somebody he's yeah. trying to get somebody and he actually said that the next door the house next door mm-hmm. which is you know in kensington new hampshire it's not right next door. yeah it's, it's, it's good pretty far away 100 but, yards um it's the russell family mr and mrs russell and he said later that they were inside in their bed mm. and they woke up because they heard him screaming and yelling and banging. Yeah. But because it's two o'clock in the morning, you know, they're not going to get up to open the door. No, they were, first of all, terrified of him because he yeah. kind of looked like a lunatic. Well, because he was so frantic. Yeah. You know? They're like, hey, la la la, chill back to yeah, bed. Good yeah. night. Shut the shades, yeah. back to bed. Awkward. Yeah. yeah. What he didn't know, what Norman didn't know, was that the dining family was actually just not home. Not a yep. single ho- not a single person was home that night. It was at this point that the horses and the dogs and like all the animals that were nearby erupted in chaos. Before it was silent. Now it was very loud. The horses were kicking the sides of their stalls. Dogs were howling. Goats were bleeding. Like it was just it was so it's chaotic. Chaos. Yeah. It was so bizarre. And, you know, he, he's laying in this ditch. And he's like, the whole side of the building seemed to be turning blood red because of these lights that were cast down. I don't know how he's, like, 
didn't freak the fuck out because honestly, I would poop my pants. I would have lost my shit. So when <sighs> Norman saw headlights coming towards him, mm-hmm. he climbs up out of the ditch yep. and he runs and he, he gets the car to stop. Yeah. And he gets in the car and it's this middle-aged couple and they, he's pale, yeah. he's visibly shaken. Yeah. They take him to the Exeter police station. Which is the closest police station. Mm-hmm. I don't want... Mm. I don't want to say that I don't know if Kensington has police. Pretty sure it does. I think it's very small. It's super small because we're talking a town that's very tiny comparatively to Exeter, at Mm -hmm. least in Stratum where you grew up. Yeah. Um, It's just very, very small. So they take her, they take Norman to Exeter police station and Norman is pooping his pants. Not actually. And he's talking to the desk officer um, his name was Toland, Officer Toland, and you know normally they they would look at this guy as like a he was a kook, right? They think and he's crazy. He's crazy. They would think he's crazy if Officer Toland hadn't known who Norman was. Right, right. So he sees how serious Norman is, how panicked, how impressed he is with the details that Norman is giving him. That he calls, I almost said doctor. Officer Eugene Brandt Bertrand Jr. And it was, he's like, you gotta come, like, come see this kid. Because he's freaking out. And he's claiming that he saw a UFO, mm-hmm. essentially. Yep. Yep. So by the time he burst into the police station, it was about 2.24 in the morning. Um, and then Officer Tolan gets on the radio, gets a hold of Officer Bertrand. And Bertrand is like oh my god, it's so crazy that this guy is giving this description of this object because earlier in his shift, Bertrand was driving along Route 101 near Epping, New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. um, and he saw this woman stopped on the side of the road, and she was in obvious distress. She's freaking out. And so he pulls over, and he's like, ma'am, are you okay? And she told him she was followed Mm -hmm. by a huge object with red blinking lights. And it followed her all the way from Epping. So from where she was on the side of the road to Epping, it's about 12 miles. Yeah, that's a good stretch. So she said this thing was following her. Mm -hmm. And then when she pulled over, it was hovering over her car. And then it just flew away. That's so fucking creepy. So he's thinking this woman's crazy. She's not so, yeah. But because she was so distressed and like genuinely freaking out, he didn't feel like it was safe to leave her. Right. He waited with her for 15 whole minutes just which to make is, sure that she was safe and that she could drive her car. Which home. is good. Yeah, honestly. Think, I, yeah, that's thank you for doing that because if someone's in distress, they shouldn't be operating yes. a, a two-ton vehicle. Yes, very true. So he waited with her for 15 whole minutes. That's a long time. That 15 is a very whole long minutes time. Yeah. to get her to calm down, calm down, talk it out. She's like, "Okay, Mm-hmm. All right, maybe I am crazy, I don't know, but I'm just, I'm feeling okay to drive, I'm going to get home. Right. So when Bertrand heard this account of what Norman was saying to Officer Toland, he was like, oh my God, something's going on here. Yeah. I have to see this for myself. I have yeah. to go to this field by this farm and, you know, check out the area for myself. Yeah. And so that's exactly what they do. Mm-hmm. Bertrand takes Muscarello and they go and they... <laughs> They drive to Kensington, which, again, is not a very far drive. No, not at all. Um, so they get back to the same area where Norman claimed that he saw and was essentially followed by this unidentified flying object mm-hmm. with the insanely bright red lights. And they go there, and, you know, I'm sure I picture it. This is just editorializing. I picture, you know, the police officer with his hands on his hips, and he's just kind of looking around like... Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, sure, buddy. You know, with his, you know, he probably has a cigarette. It's the 60s, you know. Sure. And he has a baton in one hand <laughs> and a cigarette in the other. And there's, you know, Norman, and he's an 18-year-old kid. I picture him, I don't know if this is true, I picture him skinny and, like, frazzled. And he's just like, I swear, I swear it was right here, you know. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. That's just me picturing it. But, you know, and it was just about almost like when they were just going to be like, you know what? I guess it was just in my head, mm-hmm. la la la, like leaving. When suddenly, it appeared, it appeared. And what really cued them to the reappearance of this object was that the horses and the dogs started, started. they started going crazy mm-hmm. again. Like full on kicking the sides of their stalls, neighing, howling, like painful howling. Mm-hmm. That this police officer was like, 
all right, kid, what the fuck? Yeah, like, Something's what are you doing? <laughs> it was so weird. Oh, my God. And then Officer Bertrand saw the object slowly rise from the trees behind oh, the horse corral. And he said it was as big as the barn. Yeah. And he gets on the radio and he yells, my God, I see the damn thing myself. And he said the object had red flashing lights and started swaying <gasps> back and forth. So like creepy. Ominously. And just like... Just like any cop, this is typical cop behavior, he takes his gun out of his holster <laughs> and points it at the thing. And Norman's like, what the fuck? Like, what are you, you going to shoot do? it? Like, what are you doing? And then he realizes, you know, against his better judgment, he's yeah. like, I, I can't shoot this thing. Like, I don't even know what it is. Yeah, like, what is it? Yeah. Like, his instinct. Yeah. Like, uh, right. I can't say I blame him The wind him so blows. Yeah. The guy. <laughs> he, <laughs> he sees, you know, the first thing he sees, he wants to shoot it. Fine. Whatever. It's the 60s. We'll give him. No, there's no uh, pass. Still has um, to say it. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Um, but I think it's so funny that he it's just pulls out his gun. He, like, pulls out, straight up pulls out a gun. It's and then he's like, wait. Yeah, what am I going to actually do with yeah. this? So, you know, he puts his gun back in his, hol- his holster. And then that's when, you know, the two men, they run back to the car because they're like, do we need shelter? Like, what is going yeah, on? Yeah, they haul ass back to the cruiser. They have no idea what's happening. And this is when David Hunt, another Exeter policeman, mm-hmm. you know, he was called and he arrives. And, I mean, David Hunt shows up and it's there. It's right there. He's seeing it, too, with his own eyes. Yep. That's two police officers mm-hmm. and, you know, a young, a young man. Yep. And now it's beyond the point of just being some crazy kid. It's two police officers being mm-hmm. like, okay, what the hell is going on? Because Bertrand had dealt with that hysterical lady called on the side of the road. Toland had also gotten two other phone calls that night about some weird sightings like one guy was in a phone booth mm-hmm. and when they came to go see him he was gone there was nobody it was so we- like so bizarre so they were starting to be like okay yo what the hell like this is not a joke anymore no this is legitimate and david hunt was able to give a more kind of an accurate description so mm-hmm. he said it, this object hovered about 100 feet away from them and at a 100-foot altitude. Oh, my God. This thing's massive. Yeah. It rocked and swayed back and forth. Crazy. I would have, that alone would have, mm-hmm. like, I mean, lights or not, the swaying back and forth? Forget oh, it. Forget no. it. He said the pulsating red lights flashed in rapid sequence from right to left and then left to right, and oh. each cycle consumed no longer than two seconds. So it's like boom, 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 and then back the other way, like flashing. And then he said the whole time, David Hunt is, is standing there, the horses are still freaking mm-hmm. out. Do- not even dogs nearby. It's like everywhere. From like the, ta- the next town over, dogs are losing their shit. Yep. So now there's three sets of eyes on this thing. And they all arrived at different times. They all have their own individual accounts. Yeah, that's right. So it's not like they all showed up at the same time and they're all, you know, collaborating with each other. Right. Right. No, no. They all have their own individual take to it. Mm-hmm. So fucking creepy mm-hmm. so eventually the object rose over the trees and disappeared yeah i don't know now hunt the officer that came on the scene um said that there was the sounds of like an engine of like a b-47 bomber mm-hmm. and that he heard that you know there's a um in portsmouth or newington which is a good like 20 minutes away from exeter um has a P's na- uh, airport it's like a an Air, Air Force, Force base. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's still in use. It's not like a yeah. decommissioned. It's used still to this day. Um, so they had they run tests like that with the B-47 bombers. So, you know, there was speculation like, oh, it could have been. Were they running tests? And David Hunt, he said, you could tell the difference between the UFO and a bomber. There was no comparison. No comparison. Mm-hmm. Mostly because this thing was fucking 100 feet in diameter. And... <laughs> And it's dead silent. And dead silent. This thing is not making any noise. Yeah. Yep. There's no, yeah, there's, there's no way. It's, it's the same thing. Nope. And so these three men, they head back to Exeter Police Station, mm-hmm. and all three of them file separate reports, mm-hmm. which I think is crazy. Like, if that doesn't, like, prove that something really did happen, I don't know what does. Because, what, did they all take the same shrooms? Like, there's no... There's no, there's no there's, way. There's no explanation for it. There's like, no way. And I'm someone who's very skeptical of that kind of thing. Right. So I'm, like, listening to this, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of... 
Right, I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist. No. I'm not into all this shit. No. But this evidence, like looking at all of this and all these sources, and I mean, to this day, this is the single most publicized and talked about case of a UFO sighting. Yep. And it also has the most documentation and proof to, to this day. Yep. Of all America. Yep. Yeah. Which is insane. Because like, I live in, there. Right. It happened in Exeter, New Hampshire. Yeah. Small totally. ass Exeter, New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yep. It's, it's just fucking crazy. Um, so this journalist, John G. Fuller, he went to Exeter to investigate and conduct interviews because he, he heard about this and he was so curious. Yeah. He was able to interview this kid. He was a senior at Exeter High School. His name was Ron Smith. And Ron said that two or three weeks prior to Norman's sighting, Ooh. he was in a car with his mom and his aunt. And it was about 1130 at night. Okay. And they're driving. Do to do. Town of Exeter. Mm-hmm. He said all three of them saw an object with a red light on top, and the bottom was white, and it glowed. It appeared to be spinning. It passed over the car once, and when it passed over and got in front of the car, it stopped in midair, and then it went back over the car again, and then flew away. What the fuck? So now we have... This kid saying he had a sighting. Right. His mom and his aunt can back it up. Mm -hmm. The two officers and Norman this woman on the side of the road mm-hmm. and the guy in the phone booth. Yep. That's crazy. And actually, during all of this in the weeks that followed, mm-hmm. the Exeter police station was getting other calls with sightings. Yeah. Hey, uh, just to let you guys know, I don't know if it's an, an emergency or 911, but we just saw this object with flashing mm. red lights and it was huge and and it's coming from all over the town of Exeter. It's yeah. not coming from one neighborhood and one area. Right. And one. It's all over the town. And they all are ultimately saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Big object, huge, in the air, over their cars mm-hmm. or their persons, bright red lights. That can't be coincidence. No, and all these police officers taking these calls are saying, you know, there's no way that this is an elaborate prank by the yeah. town. Or, I mean, people calling don't even know each other. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's no Too way elaborate. that this is, yes. Too elaborate. Yep. I like to think that we at Exeter are smart folk, but not that smart. <laughs> Take a lot to you know, combine and mm-hmm. pull a ginormous prank in the, in the 60s. Come on now. Right. Give me, give me, yeah, you can't. <laughs> what are they, telegramming each other? No, yeah. You can't make a group chat. Right? <laughs> yeah. like, what? what the hell? <laughs> oh my God. So when the Exeter police chief read the reports that Officer Bertrand, Officer Hunt, and Norman had written, they all wrote their own reports yeah. of their own accounts. So the Exeter police chief got the Pease Air Force Base involved to report a yeah. UFO sighting officially. Yeah. Because that's, he's thinking it's protocol, you know, the Air Weird Force, protocol. let the Air Force know, let somebody know. Because whatever it is, it's something. It's something. And if it's not the Air Force, then it could be a problem. Right. right. Or let's, let's get some government agency involved because we need to report this shit. Yeah. He's, he's fully thinking it's a UFO. The Exeter police chief is like, there's no doubt in my mind it's a fucking UFO. Mm-hmm. He saw it. Gets Pease Air Force base involved so air force officers lieutenant alan brant and major david griffin they come and they conduct interviews for these three men right and one of the first things out of their mouths was don't go to the media don't go to the press don't say anything unless you say it's us first okay and they go whoopsie too late yeah we went to the manchester union leader and we already talked to a reporter so shit so now the air force men are sweating yes this is a little odd. They think it's very odd. Yeah. They're like, one second. And then they like throw up in a bin. Yeah. <laughs> they're like deliberating in the corner. Like, what do we do? <laughs> so that's weird. It's a little weird that they were freaking One out of like the that. first things out of their mouths was, you don't go to the press. You uh-huh. don't go. And they're like, ooh, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. Too late. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. La, la, la. So then the Air Force, these Air Force men, they take it to Project Blue Book. So Project Blue Book, it sounds fake, but it's legitimate. It's an official Air Force research group that investigates UFO reports. This is this is a legitimate government agency. This is part of the US government to this day. Project Blue Book. So now they're involved. Major Griffin had written to them that he believes that all three of these men are stable and credible Mm -hmm. sources. Right. And he says that even though five of the B-47 planes were flying over the area around that time, there's no possible way what all three of these men saw and heard were these planes. Right. He says there's no way. He fully believes these men. They're credible. Yeah. They're sane. Yeah. Something's going on here. Isn't that 
fucking crazy that literally these official Air Force men are like, well, shit. Something's up. Yeah. So now these guys are believers too. Yep. The crazy. Air Force got involved and very quickly actually mm. issued an explanation to the press. Oh. And they said the sighting was in fact, quote, I love this. I love this. Quote, nothing more than stars and planets twinkling owing to a temperature inversion. Yeah, fucking right. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> Are you kidding? Twinkling stars, oh, bright no. red, bro? Yeah, yeah. No. You're, wait, your stars that you see aren't blood red? That's weird. They don't twinkle in rapid succession? <laughs> right to left and left to right? And you're not just in one chunk that's 100 diameters <laughs> in distance just above <laughs> following your car? Yeah, I Listen. mean, all the stars I've seen don't upset horses and dogs <laughs> and farm animals. Oh, my God. Yep. So, on a less formal level, like the Pease Air Force, mm -hmm. they were like, yeah, shit. But mm -hmm. then the real Air Force, like, not the real, they are real Air Force, but, like, the official word of the Air Force mm -hmm. is that, no, no, it's just temperature inversion. Yep. <laughs> Come on now. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and those three men who literally two patrolmen, mm -hmm. no, they're just full of hokey pokey. Right. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And to this day, this incident is celebrated. I don't know why it's for per so se. So goddamn funny. Every single year. It hasn't been going on all 56 years, but I think it's within the last 20 years or so. The town of Exeter, even though this happened in Kensington, I don't know why they decided this. Yeah, half a mile from Exeter. They're like, yeah. oh, it's ours. It's ours. <laughs> yeah. Exeter incident, let's go. <laughs> Every year on Labor Day weekend, mm -hmm. Exeter, the town as a whole, has the UFO festival, and it's two days of crazy partying in the middle of downtown Exeter. There are blow-up aliens in every storefront, on the sides of the roads, on the there's a bandstand that's like the central marker of Exeter. And like when you think of Exeter, you think of this bandstand. Mm -hmm. It's like the town emblem. It's decorated with blow up alien. I'm aliens talking, i'm talking like the full size not like the little there's some little tiny ones all over mm -hmm. but we're talking like six feet tall aliens yep. bright green there's purple eyes. ones sometimes yep. and then everyone's wearing those th these weird glasses people have shirts stores are selling you know alien stuff ice cream themed like alien foods and it's it's really cute actually it's really cute. funny it was started as a fundraiser um, the Exeter Kiwanis Club. So if you don't know what a Kiwanis Club is, it's I an international know. service club. And so the Exeter Kiwanis Club is just the Exeter branch. Sure. So they started this festival um, as a fundraiser to benefit children's charities in the Exeter. Very nice. In the Exeter area. I mean, um, it's a huge thing. They make a ton of money. Oh, yeah. Um, Liz and I were going to go to this um, the weekend that it was happening, but it was canceled because of COVID. Yeah. I was so sad because so I was fun. so excited. Yeah, we were going to get real pictures. Hell and yeah. just get our own alien, probably. Yeah. I mean, I know it's such a big deal in our town. And it's a really cool, unique aspect mm -hmm. of the town. Like, we have a UFO festival to celebrate this. Yep legitimate sighting that happened yeah, small town things man yeah and even when the festival's not going on there's always this one little alien <laughs> yes. guy that you can see that always in hangs the out front. yeah yep he always hangs out and then during the festival the whole town is every, out with aliens every storefront every mm -hmm. apartment there are blow-up aliens there are post it's crazy it's hysterical and if you guys want to know more about the festival even though it's not going on this year um they have a website Ooh. it's exeterufofestival.org and you can also make a donation to the Kiwanis Club there as well for the nice. children's charities in Exeter. I love that. Um, we have a couple that are through the Exeter Hospital for kiddos and just nice. like cool stuff like that. So That is pretty cool. Yeah, even though they're not doing the festival this year, which is a bummer, you can still Total check bummer. out their website and learn yes. more about it. It's really—it's actually so interesting. It is very it's interesting. It's just very unique. I didn't really think that th that was weird until I got to college and I was like, you guys don't have UFO festivals? Like, what are you talking about? Is that really, like, just my small town? <laughs> That's so goddamn funny. It's such a big, I don't know, it's such a big deal and everyone looks forward to it and people just dress up and they, you know, their cars or have spray paint. Like, it's just a whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. It really it's, is. Yeah, it's so crazy. So the two officers, um, Patrolman Hunt and Bertram, they 
we're not satisfied with the whole like stars and planets twinkling and temperature inversion <laughs> shit. Um, and then Project Blue Book had issued their own separate explanation besides mm-hmm. the stars thing because they were like, um, yeah, Air Force, what are you doing? Nobody's going to buy that. Yeah. So Project Blue Book tried saying that there was, and it was called Operation Big Blast. Oh, boy. It was an air command mission that was taking place at Pease Air Force Base. Okay. Conveniently, that very night. Oh, isn't that interesting? That Normand and the two officers had seen that sighting. Oh, that's what that was? Um, so that's what they said it was. That's like, it was the result of Operation Big Blast. Mm-hmm. And they're like, shh. Sure, unless the Operation Big Blast woke up a UFO. Yeah, <laughs> like, what? There's no way. Yeah. Jesus. So these two officers were pissed. Yeah. They're like, you know, they're completely discrediting what we saw. They wrote letters mm-hmm. to the Air Force and Operation Blue Book. And they said what they saw was legitimate. Mm-hmm. They described in detail. They said there was no noise. It was right. silence. Absolute silence. And they actually found out that Operation Big Blast had ended an hour before Norman's sighting. So there's no fucking way it's related. Right. They, so the Pentagon had released its final evaluation. Oh my God. So in the letter, Bertrand had stated, as you can imagine, we have been the subject of considerable ridicule since the Pentagon released its final evaluation of our sighting on September 3rd, 1965. In other words, both Patrolman Hunt and myself saw this object at close range, checked it out with each other, confirmed and reconfirmed that it was not any type of conventional aircraft, and went to considerable trouble to confirm that the weather was clear, mm-hmm. there was no wind, no chance of weather inversion, and that what we were seeing was in no way a military or civilian aircraft. Oh, shit. Four months go by, they receive no response. They wrote another letter. Good. And in this letter, they made it very obvious that what they saw, this object made no sound and was completely silent. Mm -hmm. They get no response. Finally, on January, in January of 1966, Lieutenant Colonel John Spaulding of the Secretary of the Air Force, he finally replied to the letters. Good. And this is very interesting. He said, based on additional information submitted to our UFO investigation officer, Wright Patterson, AFB Ohio, Air Force Base Ohio. Sure. We have been unable to identify the object you observed on September 3rd, 1965. Oh, shit. So, Project Blue Book and the Air Force are probably like, why the fuck did you say that? Because now there's three different explanations. Yep. Yep. And this guy just said they weren't able to identify it. That's the final word. Yes. They were not able to identify what had happened after making all those fucking excuses. Which, you know, I think classifies it as an unidentified flying object. Thank you. <laughs> That's crazy. So this is, this is not a conspiracy. This is legitimate. No, it's absolutely There's legitimate. government documents trying to cover their ass. Yeah. And then the final word was we weren't able to identify. Yeah. And to this day, this case remains the most widely publicized and best documented UFO sighting in history. Period. Insane. And you know what's so crazy is that four years before that, there was a little something else. That Stop happened. it. <laughs> Stop. Now, this story has been told to me many times by my father. Stop it. It doesn't occur in Exeter. It occurs um, about an hour away. Um, this couple, Betty and Barney Hill, they're coming home. They've been married for 16 months. They took a late honeymoon. They took their dog, Delcy, and they went to Niagara Falls. Now, they're coming back. They're driving back. And they're, you know, they live in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is about 25 minutes from Exeter, if that. And, you know, they're coming, they're driving when Betty is, you know, looking out. It's like 1030 at night. She's looking out and she sees, she thinks it's a shooting star. And no, no, it's not a shooting star. It appears as an odd shape and it's flashing multicolors and it travels across the face of the moon, apparently. Now, because it's 1961, Betty and Barney pull up binoculars, and they're, like, watching it, and they're like, what the fuck? It turned and faced them and started coming towards them. Oh, my God. Now these two, they're freaking out, and they're driving. They're, like, uh, they're driving down the road. They're going towards the old man of the mountain, which is where, which, like, if you see New Hampshire, that's, like, our logo is the 
face mm-hmm. of the old man of the mountain, which has since fallen. Yes. Um, of R. course. R.I.P. <laughs> it's the biggest tragedy in New Hampshire. Um, Betty says that I was at least one and a half times the length of the granite cliff profile, meaning <gasps> the old man of the mountain. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. And so... They were about one mile south of Indian Head, which is in New Hampshire, and the object rapidly descended towards their car, and it had made Barney stop in the middle of the highway. <gasps> stop. Yep, that's serious. I would have died. Right? And according to Barney, it reminded him of Big Pancake. I don't know. I thought that was important. Barney, of course, was carrying a pistol in his pocket. Oh, why wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean... It's New Hampshire. Live for New your Hampshire, die. right? Exactly. Guns. We love our exactly. guns here. He's also... Important to note, they are one of, they are a biracial couple. So Betty is white and Barney is black, and this is 1961. So it's, I mean, New Hampshire. We weren't, we're not like, we there's always, no diversity in New Hampshire. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. So he, I don't, I, I, yeah, he's carrying a pistol for whatever reason. But I think you know, uh, being that's a black man is valid, a valid reason for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, he has his pistol in his pocket. He steps out of the vehicle and he moves towards. I don't know what it is with these men and just winds up pointing at the so weird but he says he's looking he's using his super cool binoculars and he's looking and he says 11 humanoid figures (gasps) (laughs) they were peering out of the craft's window shut the fuck up yeah so this is where me you know being not like i'm not a conspiracy theorist i'm like okay buddy but all the figures you know move to the real you know this one spot and then they like you know communicated a message to Barney telepathically of course that said stay where you are and keep looking and so this is at this point it gets kind of fuzzy for both Barney and Betty they say that (laughs) these humanoid figures were wearing very glossy black uniforms (laughs) with black caps (laughs) I don't know but you know he ran back to his car to Betty said they're gonna capture us and they you know they get in their car and the object shifts its location directly above the vehicle. Holy shit. And, you know, they started driving away, and then all of a sudden they hear a rhythmic series of beeping or buzzing, which bounced off the truck of their vehicle. Oh my god. And that there was a there was a tingling sensation going through both of their bodies. Mm-hmm. And it said their minds were just, like, blank. And all of a sudden they were in 35 miles away near their house. And so... What happened was they arrived home and they were really confused because this 35 mile stretch of their drive, they don't remember. So they were like really freaking out because they were like, how did we get like what? So they think what they think happened is that they were abducted by these aliens, these humanoid figures. (laughs) Your face right now, dude. This is like, (laughs) oh my God. Their watches stopped working. Holy fuck. Barney said that the leather um, strap of the binoculars was suddenly torn. Uh, The toes of his dress shoes were scraped. Um, He said, for some reason, he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom when he got home. Now, he didn't find anything weird, but he was like, I need to check my testicles. Oh, my God. Betty's dress was torn at the hem, zipper, and the lining. Mm -hmm. She also had a weird pink powder on her dress. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. And five labs over many years, you know, examined this powder and they couldn't find anything on it. There were also shiny concentric circles on the car's trunk that weren't there before. So, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Um, Now, people just thought these guys were cuckoos. And honestly, I'm kind of with them. When they started having the dreams. (laughs) Now, they started having dreams um, about ten days after the UFO. Um, to encounter and she said she had them for five nights they are very very vivid and this is what happened in the dreams she wrote them down and she felt like you know okay this is what she said in one dream she and Barney encountered a roadblock and the men surrounded her car she lost consciousness struggled to regain it she realized she was being forced by two small men to walk into the forest at night and then Barney was behind her, except he was kind of like sleepwalking, was what she said. The men stood about five feet tall, and they were matching blue uniforms this time with caps, um, similar to those worn by military cadets, right? And they appeared nearly human with black hair, dark eyes, and like grayish skin. 
Yep. And so in these dreams, Betty, Barney, and the men walked up a ramp into a disc-shaped vessel. And, you know, once they were inside, Betty and Barney were separated. (laughs) And, you know, Betty then dreamt that a new man, similar to the others, conducted her exam. She called him the examiner. And he was pleasant and calm. And then there was a leader who was different than the examiner. And they spoke to her in English. Um, She had difficulty understanding him, though, because it was like an unperfect English. Because, you know, he's an alien. The examiner told Betty that he would conduct a few tests to note the differences between humans and the humanoid figures on the craft. He seated her on a chair. There was a bright light. The man cut a lock of her hair. He examined her eyes, ears, mouth, teeth, throat, and hands. He saved trimmings for fingernails. After examining her legs and feet, he used a dull knife, similar to a letter opener, to scrape some skin onto like some cellophane to keep. He tested her nervous system by thrusting needles into her belly button. <gasps> yeah. Which caused her very, very strong pain, which caused me pain to read. I, I'm like cringing. Uh-huh. And then, Ooh. yeah. Yeah. And I'm then she, she claims that when the, the leader noticed her pain, he waved his hand and it was gone. The pain. <laughs> yep. And so these were actually brought forward in memory um, through sessions of hypnosis for both Betty and Barney. And it all kind of came together that they, they were led into a, a spaceship with a long ramp. And they were asked to climb on a metal table and move their clothes where they were plucked of their hairs, um, nail clippings, parts of their skin. And, you know, she said that one needle was even inserted into her stomach as a pregnancy test. I'm wondering if that's the needle in her belly button. Yeah. So the reason why I know about this and I did more research is because my dad used to tell me about them because in Exeter, there's a very, very, very popular eatery called Los Olas. Mm -hmm. Very popular. Everybody goes there. It's like the most I remember in high school, we would go like three or four times a week. Like, people love that place. And yeah. No, it's very good. Well, it used to be at this restaurant called Ho Kong, and it was like this Chinese restaurant with a bar. And my dad, when he was like 18, 20, whatever, he, he's lived in Exeter like his whole life, he would go to this bar and he would see Betty Hill. Holy shit. At this bar. He tells me she looked like a human cigarette. And she sounded like one, too. <laughs> um, and that she was like this cuckoo. And she, that's all, you know, that's what she would talk about. At this point, it's like the mid when my dad's, a, you know, after he's 18, whenever it's like the late 70s. I mean, sorry, the late 80s. And so she's she's like, you know, she's so adamant that she was abducted by aliens. Now, Barney died in 1969, just eight years after um, he died of a brain hemorrhage, which is so sad. Um Betty never remarried. She died in 2004 of cancer at age 85. And until the day she died, she was so adamant that she saw and was abducted by aliens. I wish everyone could see your face. It's like the most... I like... And it's crazy because stories like that, I'm like, oh, that's a little bullshit. But then there's some details to that where I'm like, (laughs) first of all, you you can't make that shit up. Two people And there are... The physical aspects of it, like the pink powder. Yeah, that's weird. Like how they mysteriously have all these, like the watches stop working and, you know, Mm -hmm. damage to the binoculars in the car and their clothes and stuff like that. So weird. It just makes me question. Yep. And it's crazy that she insisted that that was legitimate until the day she died. Same thing with Norman. Oh, yeah. He, so Norman actually, he ended up leaving for the Navy three weeks after the incident. Um, And so he's like the talk of mm-hmm. the talk of all of this like yeah. his his navy i don't know what the proper term is but whoever was in charge of him yeah. had pulled him aside one night and was like okay tell me the truth like ooh, tell me the story uh-huh. like everybody was like oh, oh my god that's the guy that saw the ufo yeah um there was a book written about this yeah in the interview norman did 25 years after the incident with um the exeter high school kids mm-hmm. they asked him you know this book is a huge hit and it was published and all this stuff and mm-hmm. so you made a lot of money from it norman's like i didn't make a single cent off of that mm-hmm. poor norman so this author that wrote this book about this incident yeah incident exeter um is making a killing yep you know selling books and publishing oh God, and all yeah. this other shit and interviews and private yeah mm. this is all based on norman's account <sighs> and norman made not a single cent off this book 
That's actually really awful. Yep. So he served in Vietnam, actually, for about 36 wow. months. He was discharged. He passed away suddenly at age 55 in oh. April of 2003. Yeah. But up until the day he died, he insisted his whole life that what he saw was real. Yeah. Same thing with the two officers. Um, Officer Bertrand passed away in 1998. He wow. insisted that what he saw was real. Yeah. And Officer Hunt passed away in 2011, wow. which is pretty recent. And he yeah. insisted until the day that he died that what he saw was real. And you know what? I'm inclined to believe them. Yeah. Not so much Betty and Barney. That I can that, see some yeah. But Norman and those police officers, I think, they, I think they saw something. And you know what? Damn right we celebrated every fucking year. Damn right, Exeter UFO Festival. <laughs> Fuck right. you, COVID. That's right. <laughs> we'll yeah. see you next year. <laughs> yeah. So that's the crazy story of the incident at Exeter. Yeah. So if you guys, um, if this episode made you believers <laughs> of aliens, let us know. I'd be curious to know yeah. because I certainly didn't hold firm to that. No. Your own stories of yeah. UFO shit. Honestly, it's fun. Yeah. Because when you hear like firsthand accounts, it makes it a little more like okay okay yeah yeah and the government being so involved with this Ugh, case weird that's a little like you can't make that up you there's government the documents government. on this no i know there's government yeah there's literal documents in the mm -hmm. library of official government documents mm -hmm. that's crazy project blue book interesting yeah. definitely check that out guys crazy Man, I think we just about covered all we need to ever for the rest of our lives about aliens because I, I don't so. believe in that shit. But because of Norman Muscarello and yeah. Bertrand and I Hunt, think there's some I think there's shit out there. I think they saw something. For sure. I think that there's life I, outside of Earth. I'm not unopened to the idea mm -hmm. of it. Now there's for sure things some flying around. I mean Earth is a shit show. They probably why would they come here? Scream! <laughs> Right I don't over even us. want to be here. <laughs> yeah. Like what? Take me with you. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you don't have to abduct me. I'll go willingly. Yeah, like, seriously. Get me out of here. I'll grab some like you want some human figure. Like what do you want from the human world? I'll bring with me. Yeah, I'll bring some souvenirs. Yeah, you want some chips? Like do you get chips up in space? Like what do you want? <laughs> I have. We could get dogs and rabbit. Like whatever you want, guys. Give them some flaming hot Cheetos. Yeah. And see how they react. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. guys. If you want to share your stories of anything anything ever but specifically aliens or that kind of thing please feel free to dm us you can find us on instagram and twitter at true crime ne all lowercase and you can email us at true crime ne at gmail.com you can also nope that's it that's pretty much it yeah yeah you can dm us separately if you want i sure. guess <laughs> our instagrams are on our instagram if yeah. you really feel inclined <laughs> but we will see you next week for a Back to the bad stuff, essentially. Yeah. But this was a nice break. It though. was a nice break, mm -hmm. and it's always fun to do things like this. So. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.